Well, come on, church, why don't we put our hands together if you know that because of who he is, we can worship him. Come on, how many of you are glad that we can worship a God who is Jehovah Jireh, who is Jehovah Nisi, who is Jehovah Shalom? Come on, let's put our hands together and lift up God. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I think I have just a few people who can testify to the goodness of God, who can testify to the greatness of God. Will you lift your hands up right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for being a God who is worthy to be praised. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. You are Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who reigns in victory. You are Jehovah Shalom, our Prince of Peace. And we ask now, God, that the Prince of Peace would reign over this service, that the Prince of Peace would reign in our lives, that the Prince of Peace would reign in our city, would reign in our country, would reign on this earth. God, we thank you that we can lift you up even in this Advent season. And now, God, as we open up your word, I pray that your word would be illuminated inside of our hearts, God. We know there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind this pulpit. So, God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, that I may burn for your truth, burn for your justice, burn for your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 39. And let me just say this. Over the past couple of months, I've been asking God this question repeatedly. Why do you have me preaching about these things? First of all, it was pressure season. Then it was focus. I'm like, God, why are we talking about focus at the end of the year? Why are we talking about pressure season, preparing for pressure when we're already all in the midst of pressure, right? Well, over the past week, God has confirmed so much to me. I want to remind you of the main takeaway of the pressure season series. The main takeaway of the pressure season series, this is what God told me. He said, my people will endure a pressure that they have not experienced before. But if they prepare, they will come out better than they were before. The testimony that I ask you to repeat, to type in the comments, in the first sermon of pressure season is still true. I'm coming out better. Can you type that in the comments? I'm coming out better. Doesn't matter what's happening around us. Doesn't matter what's happening in our world. Doesn't matter what's happening even to us. We are going to come out better. How many of you believe that no matter what's going on, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, no matter what we are facing, we're still coming out better. We have the faith in God to know that as we remain focused, the clarity to direct your attention towards what God has called you to do, what you have been called to do, and who called you to do it. In the midst of pressure, the focus to keep our eyes fixed, God is still going to carry us through. So I pray that you will continue to have that mindset in the midst of everything that's going on, and God will bless it. Amen? Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses uh, 39 to 41. It says here, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to preach a message today entitled, Welcome to the Waiting Room. Come on, type it in the comments, the waiting room. Type the waiting room in the comments. Welcome to the waiting room. 
It was a couple of years ago when my wife was in 30 plus hours of labor getting ready to have our first child, our oldest daughter, Trinity, that I realized something about waiting rooms. There were a couple of things that I remembered distinctly, the first of which was pretty obvious, and that was the cascade, the wave of emotions that I felt in the midst of that waiting room, in the midst of the hospital room. And this cascade of emotions came over me. It was fear and dread and excitement and confusion and anticipation. And many of you who have had children, you know, you already understand this feeling. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't have a manual. You don't know what's going to even happen in the next day or two days. You don't know what your child is going to look like. And so there is this, there is this wave, this cocktail of emotions that you feel. But the second thing that I remember is a little bit unconventional, and I think some of the expectant fathers or those who have been in that situation will identify with this. The second thing I remember distinctly is this uncomfortable chair that they gave me in the hospital room. Some of y'all know a little something about this chair. It's kind of a beige, pukish color. Uh, yeah, it stretches out. It's the, it's the chair you're supposed to lay on and take a nap on. It's the chair you're supposed to be able to recline on. Now, I remember taking all these classes, these preparatory birth classes, and they would give us a tour of the particular hospital rooms and the waiting rooms. And I remember they showed us something that was a little bit different than what we ended up getting. They showed us the Pilates balls and the, uh, you know, the aromatherapy and all these other things. And it seemed as though it was going to be real nice and smooth. But when I got to the specific hospital room, I saw the bed. It was a little bit different than the bed that they had showed. And then I saw this chair. And this chair was extremely uncomfortable. It's impossible for you to get comfortable in the middle of this chair. It's impossible for you to be able to recline to the extent that makes you comfortable. But I think the men would, would identify with this, that I'm, I'm glad I'm in that chair and not in that hospital bed. Praise God for women. Praise God for my wife. I'm glad I'm in the chair and not in the hospital bed. But the third thing that I remember changed everything about my experience. When I woke up the next morning, the nurse told me something that shifted my perspective. The nurse came in, and after she gave some, you know, updates on where we were in the delivery process, she said, oh, by the way, you know your family is waiting in the waiting room, right? You know your family stayed in the waiting room all night, and we went outside, or I went outside because my wife was in the bed, and I saw my family stretched out across these chairs and they had stayed with me all night. They had stayed with us all night. And it reminded me of this reality. Waiting hits different when you know someone is waiting with you. <laughs> Can I run it back? That's my favorite question. Waiting hits different when you know someone else is waiting with you. It's different if you're waiting by yourself and alone. It's different if you're waiting in isolation, but waiting, it hits different. It carries with it a different meaning. It has a different anticipation. It has a different sense with it when someone else is waiting with you. And perhaps that's the reason why the story of Elizabeth and Mary has gripped me in this Advent season. Every single year, there's at least one Advent story that grips my imagination. It, it captivates my attention. When I was 20 and in college, the story of Joseph's immediate obedience to the angel, it, it motivated me to make the most pivotal decision of my adult life. Last year, I was captivated by the magi or the wise men, as some have called them, the faith to follow after a sign before they saw the evidence. 
And this year it has 100% been Elizabeth and Mary. It's been their connection. And there's something really interesting about Elizabeth and Mary. It, it matters that someone is waiting with you. It matters that they're waiting with one another. And it, it, as we look in Scripture, it seems as though they have a lot in common, right? Both of them are cousins. They're in the same family. Both of them are pregnant. Both of them have promised wombs. Both had partners who were visited by angels. Both of them had great men who were inside of them. John the Baptist and then, of course, the Son of God, Jesus. But even in the sense of them being in common, according to society, Mary and Elizabeth, they, they couldn't be further apart. Elizabeth had been asking God for a child for many, many years with her husband, Zechariah. And it's funny because Mary had not been asking God for a child at all. As a matter of fact, she wasn't officially married yet. Elizabeth was from an older generation, and Mary was just a teenager, perhaps 13 years old. They couldn't have been different in their life situations and in their expectations, but God visited them both. And I think that's why there is a sense of wonder with the Elizabeth and Mary story for me. These waiting expectant women, the waiting room in which they are metaphorically, spiritually in. And there is this symbolism here of a multi-generational reality, which is the messy middle. You know, the Advent is all about the messy Middle. Type the middle in the comments. The middle. It's all about that time between the promise that's given and the anticipation of the promise to come. It's all about that time in between what, what you expected God to do and then when God actually shows up. It's all about that time when things seem a little bit murky and dark and uncertain and unsure. And they find themselves, these multi-generational women find themselves in the middle and their solidarity because they're going through the same things. And they might be different in age and different in situation and different in their expectations, but God was able to meet them and bring them together. You see, waiting, it hits different when you know someone else is waiting with you. How many of you know that when, when you're waiting and you know your brother or your sister is waiting with you and they can clasp hands either physically or metaphorically and say, I'm here with you, they can touch and agree and say, I'm waiting on something too. There's something that gives you some hope. There's something that gives you some faith. And I think that Elizabeth and Mary have something to teach us, y'all. Elizabeth and Mary have something to teach us about the way in which we are supposed to wait in the Advent season and wait in our walk with Jesus. The first thing that I see here is that Mary and Elizabeth are a bridge between the old and the new covenant. Mary and Elizabeth come from different places. Elizabeth comes from this idea, this place where she is expecting something because it has been deprived of her representation of the old covenant. The old covenant shows us the faithfulness of God. The old covenant shows us the character of God. The old covenant shows us what God is capable of. And Mary is showing us the new. She's showing us what God is capable of doing in the future, what God will present, what God will spawn off, what sequels God will do in the future. And what I see here is this first idea, this idea of Mary and Elizabeth teaching us to appreciate and anticipate. Type that in the comments, appreciate and anticipate. Appreciate what God has already done, but anticipate the fact that God is still going to do something new. Let's talk about appreciation because there is nothing worse 
than working hard for someone and they don't appreciate the things that you have done. I think I have a couple of parents in the house who can attest to this fact. Your kids give you all these fancy Christmas lists. And at the end of Christmas, after you have worked yourself hard for 12 months, after you have gone outside of your way, perhaps stood in some lines, perhaps ordered a little bit early to get the very things that they want, after a couple of days, they move on to something else. After a couple of days, maybe your younger kids start playing with the boxes and not the toys that were in the box. You know what I'm talking about. There is something about working hard for someone and doing something for someone and not appreciating what they have done, not appreciating the work that you have put in, not appreciating the fact that you have a track record. And in the case of Elizabeth, God is trying to remind us. He's trying to remix one of his greatest hits. He's trying to say things that are barren, things that are dead, things that have no life in them are things that I can work with. And when you see in the Old Testament, there is a sense in which the barrenness of the Old Testament, the barrenness of women like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Samson's mother, there's a barrenness that is expected, but God ignites the womb. God sends life into the womb and causes things to live. And what God is trying to remind us here is that he can still work in the way he used to work. God can still work. In the way he used to work. God has the faithfulness to continue to be the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. God can still do the miracles that you heard about. God can still make a way where there is no way. God can still part the Red Sea. God can still cause the sun to stand still. God can still make things to spring up in dead and deserted places. Do you believe that God can still do it? Do you believe that God is faithful to his character? Do you believe that you still need to appreciate what God has done. And I know we're in this time where there's a lot of difficulties that we are facing. But church, can I tell you, we can never lose the appreciation and the gratitude for what God has already done. God has taken some of us from a mighty long way. God has brought some of us through the valley. God has brought some of us through Gethsemane. God has taken us up and out of the muck and miry place. God has redeemed us. God has saved us. God has delivered us. God has sanctified us. God has set us free. I think I have at least one person. It may not be five, but I think I have at least one person who can attest to the reality that God deserves our appreciation. God deserves our gratitude. And so we see here a remix of what God has done. Can you just pause right here and think of all the things God has done for you? Can you verbalize to God how great he is? Can you verbalize to God how mighty he is? Come on, let's put our hands together. God is worthy of our appreciation. But in the midst of this, it's very interesting. Elizabeth shows us the reality that God is worthy of our appreciation. But here, Mary comes into the scene and shows us that God is not just worthy of our appreciation. He's also worthy of our anticipation. <laughs> Notice here. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 40. Luke chapter 1, verse 40. It says that when she, Mary, entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's one question that we have to ask ourselves from the story of Elizabeth. Can you appreciate what God has done for us? But in the context of Mary, there's a sign of what God will do. Can you anticipate what God will do? There was a leaping that came about. Elizabeth's child, John, leaped 
in her womb. There was an anticipation of what was to come. There was an anticipation of the reality that, that I'm in the presence of God. There was an anticipation of the reality that caused Elizabeth to say, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. I anticipate that God will do great things through you. Yes, God has done great things for you already, but now God is going to do great things through you in the future. There is an appreciation and also an anticipation. And as much as we like to appreciate God, as much as we like to clap our hands and thank God for what was, church, I think we need to break out of the box of thinking that God is confined only to what was. We need to break out of the box of thinking God is confined only to what we can understand. We need to break out of the box of thinking that God is confined only to what he has done for someone else. But we need to anticipate the reality that God isn't just confined to those things. God is capable of doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. He is capable of doing what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no person has comprehended. He is capable of doing the things that we perhaps cannot even imagine that it is possible for him to do. And Advent situates us in between appreciation and anticipation. Church, do you have some anticipation for what God is going to do? Do you have some anticipation for what God is going to do in your life? Do you have some anticipation of what God is going to do in your family, what God is going to do in your job? what God is going to do to your bank account, what God is going to do in practical ways. You have some anticipation that God is going to move in mighty ways. And Elizabeth shows us appreciation. But Mary says, hey, wait a second. There's still more to come. There's still more that God wants to do. And how many of you with a lifted hand can say, I anticipate what God is going to do in my life. I, I have no low expectations for what God is going to do. I have no human finite expectations for what God is going to make happen because I know the character and I anticipate that he's going to do even more. Can you lift your hands right now, God? We anticipate that there are going to be great and mighty testimonies in this church, that there are going to be great and mighty testimonies in the lives of the people who are watching right now. Doesn't matter what they've been through. Doesn't matter the things that they think are possible. God, we anticipate there is a leaping in our spirit, a filling of the Holy Ghost that says there is more for us to do. There is more that you will do on the inside of us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together. Let's keep moving here. Because what we see here is the first thing is Mary and Elizabeth are teaching us to appreciate and anticipate. But then Mary and Elizabeth are showing us that in the midst of waiting, it's possible to be disappointed but determined. <laughs> it's possible to be disappointed, but determined. If we look at the context of Elizabeth and Mary, what we see here is a sense of disappointment in different ways. We know, according to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, I'm going to read this. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Watch this. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. What this means is the priestly division of Abijah means that Zechariah was a part of the ministry. A descendant of Aaron means that Elizabeth came from people who were a part of the Levitical line of the ministry. So Elizabeth was not just born into but married into a pastor's home. Elizabeth married into the priest's home and came from a line of priests. 
There's this mentality that we have that if we do things God's way, we're going to get the results we expect. Can I, can I run? <laughs> Come here real quick. Come here. Lean in. There's this reality that if we do things God's way, not that we, we're going to get God's results. That's true. If we do things God's way, we expect to get the results that we thought we were supposed to get. And here, I can anticipate Elizabeth and Zechariah looking at God and saying, well, hold up now. We have given you all of our lives in the ministry. We've been in the synagogue every day, serving you, loving you, caring for people, doing the, the rites of the synagogue, doing the things that we're supposed to do in the most holy place, lifting up the incense, leading people in worship. We did things the right way, and it seems like things aren't turning out the way you said they were supposed to turn. I'm, I'm a little disappointed here. I'm a little disappointed here. God, I did my best, and I still got the wrong result. I did my best, and I'm still disappointed. Has anyone ever been there? You did your best. You did the right thing. You did things according to what God said was supposed to be done, and you're still not getting the right result. As a matter of fact, you get the wrong result. God, I'm barren. I don't have any children. It seems as though you would bless me of all people with this. I'm in the pastor's home. And not only that, she's probably also marginalized because the rumors were probably swirling around. The rumors were probably swirling around based upon what people perceived to be the blessing and the curse of God. Barrenness was seen as a curse in the old covenant, in the old times. And what seems so fascinating is there were probably a lot of people, if I can use my holy imagination, there were probably a lot of people who were whispering about Elizabeth. What did she do? What did Zachariah do? Oh, yeah, you know they don't have any kids. You know, you know they don't have any children. They don't have any offspring. You know what that means. Oh, yeah, you know what that means. They must have sinned. They must be abiding in sin. Because I guess, you know, what we perceive is always true. So, you know, they must be, God must be displeased with them. God must have pronounced a curse on them. And I can imagine this overwhelming sense of disappointment. But Elizabeth isn't the only one who has to be disappointed. I guess Mary would have to be disappointed as well, right? I, I mean, think about it. She is a young woman. She is betrothed to her husband, Joseph. Everything is going according to plan. She's setting things up in the way that it's supposed to. She's betrothed. She's engaged, getting ready to get married. And then the angel comes and gives her a proclamation based upon something she didn't ask for. I didn't ask for this. I'm disappointed because now it seems as though my plans are out of line. My plans are a little bit shifting. And not just my plans, but also, again, she was marginalized. The rumors. Do you know the scandal of an unwed teenage mother? Do you know the scandal of an unwed, engaged teenage mother? Do you know that for their wedding ceremony, they would have to walk through the whole town? Do you realize that people were having to ask her fiancé how he would have the audacity, the gall, the foolishness to go ahead and marry her after she got pregnant and it's not his? Do you realize it? God, what? I did everything right. I'm minding my own business. I almost said I'm minding my own black business. I'll just say, I'm minding my own black business. <laughs> I'm doing everything according to what I thought you told me to do. And now you're going to visit me with marginalization. You're going to visit me with rumors. C can I say something real quick, church? It's okay to be disappointed. Can I let that breathe? 
It's okay to be disappointed. There's not something unspiritual about communicating and conveying your disappointment. Perhaps the most common situational characteristic of great women and men that God uses in the scriptures, the most common characteristic is disappointment. Imagine all the things God promised them. And imagine the winding road it took for them to get to the promise that God had made. Think about it. Joseph had to go through a pit. Joseph had to go through a prison. Moses had to be in exile. Moses couldn't see the promised land. David, it took him 16 years or 18 years from, from before the time he was anointed all the way up until the time he actually became king. Ruth had to deal with great loss. Daniel was persecuted for doing right. The three Hebrew boys were thrown in the fire just for standing for God. And I don't know about you, but I don't know when it became kosher for us to act like we ain't disappointed, church. If you're disappointed, it's not unspiritual to say that. It's not unscriptural to convey that. Whoever said that is lying from the pit of hell itself. Read the Psalms, read the prophets, read Lamentations, the lament of the prophet. And what we see here is an expression of disappointment, an expression of God, why? And some of you are asking the question, God, why is it that I find myself in the wrong situation when I did the right things? I did it all right, and my career is not advancing. I did it all right according to what I thought, and I'm still staring down the barrel of bills I can't pay. I did it all right, and I'm still frustrated in my relationships. I did it all right, and I'm divorced. I did it all right, and I'm an abuse survivor. I did it all right, and I lost my children. I did it all right, and I lost all my friends. I did it all right, and they still talked about me. I did it all right, and the rumor mill is going. I did it all right, and I still got the wrong results. And here's what I want to tell you, church. It's okay for you to be disappointed, but you have to understand this reality. We don't have control over our disappointments. Those are things that happen to us. But we do have control over our determination. Those are the things that we can still stoke on the inside of us. We don't have control over our disappointments. We don't have control over what happens to us. We don't have control over what we go through. But we still have control over our mind. And some of us need to gather and marshal the strength to hope again. Hope is the antidote to disappointment. Hope is the great antidote to the feelings of like failure and the feelings of frustration. And what God is calling for us to do is not to focus on what happened to us, but what we're going to do in the midst of it. God is not calling for us to control control things. He's God. He's going to be able to control and move things out of the way and maneuver things around. It doesn't matter if you're disappointed or if people are disappointed in you. You still have control over your own determination. And I think some of us need to get our eyes off our situation. Some of us need to get our eyes off of the things that are happening to us and fix our eyes and focus on what God has called for us to do and say, God, even if I'm disappointed, I'm still determined. Even if I'm in the pit and the prison, I'm still going to one day be in the palace. Even if all my friends forsake me, God, you're still the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Even if I'm in the fire, I'm still going to come out as pure gold. Even if I'm in the lion's den, you're going to shut the mouths of the lions and God is calling for us to be determined even in disappointment. That's what the Advent is all about. It's all about those disappointed moments and the determination to still believe God. Who in here is disappointed? I'm going to pause right here. Who's disappointed? Are you disappointed with what's happening in your life? Are you disappointed by what's not happening in your life? 
Are you disappointed by what God allowed? Are you disappointed by what God let happen? Are you disappointed? If you're disappointed, I want you to lift up your hands right now, wherever you are, wherever you are. I feel led to stay here. 2020 has been a disappointing year. Things have not worked out in the way that you thought. You've lost relationships and friendships. You've been isolated. You've been talked about. You've been smeared. You've been maliciously accused. You have been pushed away. You have been marginalized. And yet, God is calling us today to stand in our determination and say, God, I'm disappointed. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to bring a fake false self. You already know what's in my heart anyway. But I'm still going to believe. I'm going to skip ahead here. Keep your hands raised because this is what's interesting. In the midst of disappointment, yet determination, Mary comes to Elizabeth. The baby leaps inside Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth says this in verse 45, Luke chapter 1. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. We're closing out. I want to stay here. A whole other point. But God wants me to speak to the people who are disappointed. It is a sense of despair and despondency and failure and frustration. And God wants us to stand against it. The third point is not just anticipate, appreciate and anticipate, disappointed but determined, barren yet still believe. Do you have the faith to still believe? As the great theologian Fleming Rutledge said, the advent shows us doom on one hand, but deliverance on the other. Keep your hands lifted. There's doom on one hand. There's a precipitous cliff on one hand. There's disappointment on one hand, but there is the deliverance of God on the other. And I think there's some people who need to have their faith built up to believe the word of God, to believe that God is still able, to believe that God is still capable, to believe that no matter what's happening to me, God can still work through me, to believe that even though it seems like everything has gone to the wayside, God is still God. God is still able. God is not dead. And I determine myself to believe. Lift up your hands right now. I pray for those who are disappointed. I stretch my hands in faith to those who are despondent and in despair, those who feel like failures. The overwhelming sense of frustration, the overwhelming sense of anguish. There are some people who feel as though they're worthless. They're nothing. I didn't expect life to go this way. I didn't expect it to happen like this. I didn't expect to be in this situation. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was working as hard as I possibly could. For everyone who is disappointed right now, God, I pray that in the supernatural wisdom, in the supernatural communication of the Holy Spirit, you would remind them that they're not waiting by themselves. The weight hits different when you know someone else is waiting with you. There's someone waiting with you, and it's not a human person, though it may be someone who is human. The great one who is waiting with you is God. He's been in the waiting room standing right beside you. He's the fourth man in the fire. God is waiting with you. God is with you in the midst of your disappointment. God is with you in the midst of your distraction. God is with you in the midst of your failure. And tears fill my eyes because I feel this sense 
of frustration. I feel it in my bones. And God said, don't bring that disappointment, that frustration, that abject failure into the new year, but bring it to me. Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the altar and don't pick it back up again. For every young person who is disappointed that it didn't work out, for every seasoned saint who is disappointed that the best of their life allegedly passed them by, for every mother and father who is disappointed in a child, may the Holy Spirit of God meet you in this moment and turn your ashes into beauty and turn your mourning into the oil of joy and turn your dark into light. Weeping may endure for a night. Doom may be on one hand, but deliverance is on the other. Joy comes in the morning, church. Joy comes in the morning. And right now, God, we just, all we have is a little bit, a mustard seed of belief. But we plant it in the ground and we cover it and we put our hands over it. And we say, God, you, you help our unbelief because we only have a little. We only have a little belief, God. We thank you for the Advent. We thank you for Elizabeth and Mary showing us that there's something for us to appreciate and anticipate. There are things that we might be disappointed about, but we can still be determined. We might be barren, but we can still believe. May everyone walk in it. May we sit in the messy middle, because that's where you are, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. I love you so much. If you're in the middle and you're disappointed and you're frustrated and you're discouraged, first, I want to say this. For those who have not trusted in Jesus, today is your day, right now. Someone tuned in and you wonder why you tuned in, because it's time for you to give your life to God. It's time. There's no reason to wait. There's no perfect time. You don't have to clean yourself up. You come as you are. If that's you, I want you to type home in the comments. And I want you to lift your hands right now. I want you to type home in the comments and I feel led to pray with you. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know I am. And I pledge to follow after your son, Jesus. I don't know everything that I'm supposed to do, but what I do know is Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. And I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. That's it. <laughs> if that's you and you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. And I want you to put home in the comments because we want to walk with you on this journey. But, but secondarily, I, I want to speak to the people who are really frustrated right now. I want you to set aside some intentional time over the next seven days. And I want you to catalog your disappointments and your determination. Two things, your disappointments on one hand, but the declarations of who you are in God on the other. I want you to catalog it for seven days. Whatever comes out, comes out. What you know about your situation and what you know about the God in you. Catalog them both and see what God does to your anticipation. This may seem to be difficult for us, but I encourage you to do the hard work of confronting the disappointments, but still believing and still being determined to believe what God has said to you. I love you, church. I pray that you will continue to believe even this week. Be blessed. 
Well, hey, church, I hope that that encouraged you as we continue our focus series. It is so important for us to remember that we are called to follow after Jesus. And that first starts again with salvation. And if you're wondering, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I am a part of the family of God. It's very simple. It is just a prayer away. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. I believe that you died and you rose again for for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And now I will trust and follow you for the rest of my life. Whatever variation you say that in, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you are saved. Welcome to the family of God. I know it might seem like you don't know what to do, but I want you to put home in the comments, the word home in the comments, all caps. And our social media team will reach out to you and give you some literature, help guide you further on what you are supposed to do as you move forward. I also want to encourage you as you're moving into this particular moment of us being focused. I want to encourage you to join us on our Focus Fast. You can do so in the pinned comment. There is a link that says Focus Fast. There's a pinned comment there. And you can click that link and it'll give you the steps for what it means to fast. This is a powerful time for us to center our hearts and allow God to speak to us as we continue to focus on what he has called for us to do. If you didn't have a chance to give, you can do so in three easy ways. You can go to the Tively app and type New Dimensions Christian Center. You can go to our website, ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in, P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Church, thank you so much for joining us. I pray that the worship has uplifted you. The word has challenged you. I pray that you have been changed today and motivated to go all in. We'll see you on Tuesday at Midweek Bible Study right here on our NDCC Facebook or YouTube page. And we'll see you next week for another sermon series from our Focus series. We're so excited about what God is doing. Our calling is so important and we must remain focused on it. Well, I'm praying blessings upon you this week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week right here at New Dimensions Christian Center, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed.